Welcome to a new episode of A Call to Grow. Every time I think of who I would like to invite for a conversation about life, changes, and leadership, I ask myself who have been the best teachers for me to learn from. Have it been the most professionally successful leader? Has it been the most knowledgeable people around me? Are they the self-declared gurus? Or are they people who've had the courage of sharing about themselves to me, who've had the strength to be vulnerable, who, to own up their struggles and insecurities, their fears and their dilemmas with as much grace as they would wear their achievements, their convictions and their stances. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Mr. Zafar Khan, who's a person who brings in story about his identities as an Indian born Afghan, currently living in Oman, someone who has followed his passions in life without being goal directed. podcast a call to grow Zafar. very grateful for you to have uh, agreed to participate and, and be interviewed uh, and really nice uh, to see you after a very long time uh, but uh, you know I know you for so many years over so many years uh, but um, for the audience if I were to ask you who is Zafar Khan what would you say thank you very much for inviting me if you if I had to explain to the viewers who Zafar Khan is I would probably identify myself as Indian Afghan, to be very precise. Um, I grew up in Calcutta, um, was born in uh, Bukharo in Bihar, which is now in Chhattisgarh, I think. I'm a passionate rugby player. I live now in Oman. I worked with uh, different careers uh, from fitness to um, corporate uh, uh, employee engagement, which I do now. Um, I have a small little family now in Oman, uh, a little boy and my wife, we live here. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. That's, that's a very uh, small description of my life. So you're an Indian Afghan. Let's, uh, what does that mean? I mean, who's an Indian Afghan? Um, uh, an Indian Afghan is somebody who uh, who's, who's a first generation Afghan. So I was born in, in, um, in India. Um, I have in my family who, uh, I have my siblings who are not a first generation Afghan. So I have uh, two brothers and one sister and two of my siblings were born in Afghanistan and me and my brother were born in India. So we are the first generation to be born here. Um, um, and I call myself, that's why an Indian Afghan. If you go ask my brother, he would call himself an Afghan uh, who's an Indian now. So what part of Zafar is Afghan and what part of Zafar is Indian? As soon as I step out of the door, I am Indian. <laughs> as soon as I the door, uh, what I would say in my mother's territory, uh, I am Afghan. So give us a give us a sense and feel of what who Zafar is in, inside the door in his mother's territory, and who Zafar once he steps out of the door. My mother gets really annoyed if I speak in any other language apart from Pashto. 
okay. uh, which is my mother tongue. Uh, and I'm very grateful that she's always pushed us to learn the language and my uh -huh. father, um, because I can then pass it on to my son. Mm -hmm. um, um, and this is a big part of my culture, the way we eat or which is we've, we've introduced a lot of masala now into the into the food but our food was very bland if you go to an afghan afghan house mm -hmm. which would be um, uh, yeah i think a, a lot of it is uh, what i carry uh, my parents um, value system uh, which are a lot in the house mm -hmm. uh, though they know that i also have a, a life outside the house um, so these are the kind of things I would say an Indian Afghan Zafar and an Afghan Afghan Zafar in the house kind of, how do you say, balanced life. Is there, a, is there an Indian identity uh, that you experience even within the house? And is there an Afghan identity that you carry with you even once you step outside the door? Yes, that's a very interesting question because when we were growing up, we were the first children in the house who were Indian Afghan. Mm -hmm. And when I say we were the first children, there, were no, there was nobody who was below our age group. So we were carrying um, a lot of the identity in the house. But now when I look at uh, children from my brothers, mm. who are my niece and nephews, they have a very strong identity of Afghan, mm -hmm. the kind I did not have. And Give us an example, for instance. They are much more closer to the Afghan music. They're much more closer to uh, Afghan language. They want to learn about the history. If I look back and try to understand when I was 15 or 14, did I have that drive to learn about um, the Afghan history and culture, I don't think I did have the drive. Um, I was more driven towards becoming an Indian. Mm -hmm. Now that you ask me, it's a very fascinating shift why the, this generation wants to be more Afghan than an Indian. I think it's a kind of an identity which everybody chooses or sometimes gets um, thrown at them and they have to use it. Coming back to your second question, which I remember, um, what, what, what is the identity I take out when I'm one of the identity which I, which I carry with me? I think it's a sense of pride uh, which I carry as an Afghan. I was always running away from it, mm -hmm. but I think now I have accepted it. And I think one of the biggest reasons I've accepted it is because I will have to teach that to my son. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how a father would um, share a certain kind of value system if mm -hmm. the father is running away from it. Mm -hmm. And it's not something which is, um, which I find that I have to take it up, but I think over the period of time, I'm more comfortable with it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I am okay with accepting um, that I am also an Afghan. That's interesting. I, I think if I've understood you correctly, you're saying that uh, when you were a child and an adolescent, I mean, in some ways, uh, you, were, you, were, you experienced your Afghan identity inside the house, mostly by speaking in Pashto language. And that being the rule in your house, which your mother would insist. Yeah, right? that was a but you don't remember or recall 
having a very strong pull towards discovering or exploring uh, the, your history or Afghan culture or music per se actively. Uh, whereas uh, uh, today you're saying the children, your brother's children, for example, are far more actively engaged in trying to identify and connect with Afghan culture, music, literature, history, et cetera, et cetera. They're far more curious than you ever were. And that links to what you said late, uh, then, that when you, once you stepped out of the house, today, you're, you're far more, uh, you hold a certain distinctiveness and certain pride about being Afghan or uh, of Afghan origin. But you mentioned in passing, and I just would like to uh, clarify that with you, you said that you ran away from it for a while. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about why did you run away? Or at one point of time, what made you want to disown your Afghan identity once you were outside the house? I think now it strikes again a very good uh, memory um, and uh, not a very great memory. Um, I think my first identity of, I would speak the language in Pashto. I would, I would eat, eat Shorwa, I would, eat, I would do Atan, which is the traditional dance. But there was no, there was nobody clarified to me what being an Afghan is. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest understanding of when, when I became an Afghan was when we started watching the movie Rambo. Mm -hmm. And I, and I always remember what he said in one of the lines, which was one of the scene where he says, always be aware of the vengeance of an Afghan. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part, I don't remember, but he, I, this kind of stuck with me because it was like a proud a pride thing for me. And I was like, okay, I will, that's a good identity to stick to the vengeance of an Afghan. I was 14 years or 15 years old at that point of time. The 9-11 thing, uh, the September 9-11 American attack was something which kind of pushed me away from the identity. Uh, still, still kept me very close to it, but I didn't want to be associated with it because it was something we were involved with as, as, an, as an Afghan community, a country. Um, and nobody wanted to be associated with it, at least for the reasons which it happened so I think that th those were the two biggest things which kind of were like drawn and then taken away uh, in, a, in, a, in a very strong way. If I were to ask you, what were the three most defining change moments in your life? What would they be? I think some of the most important things I'd learned um, as a young man uh, was to sacrifice, was to... Um, uh, to commit to something and then stick to it. Um, I think what changed me or built me, I wouldn't say change, what built me as the person I am was the sport I played. And I, it'll be very, very unfair if I say something else. That is one of the biggest thing. I think the sport changed me. I don't know if any other sport would do that to me. Of course, Every sport has its own uh, value system and it, every sport in many ways, like all religion are teaching the same paths to peace and I think every sport brings in some sort of good things. I think the second element would be um, um, living in India. 
I think uh, coming from uh, a migrant family uh, who I've seen my parents struggle initially when they have very vivid memories of, of it. Um, but I have memories of how my parents struggle. I think um, that uh, resilience of my father uh, and my mother to help us uh, grow as individual is something which uh, uh, which really inspired me uh, in many ways uh, not if every day but in many ways in many instant to grow um, and I think the third one would be is something which I am going through now it's it's a, it's a, it's a massive change uh, for me it's uh, something which I had never expected I would do because I come from uh, a community uh, 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 environment where it's not looked up to. Um, I am uh, I work not that much, but I am also uh, stay at home dad. Is that what you is that yeah. what you call? It? Yeah. And. Uh, as I said to you in the beginning of my of our conversation, is that uh, there are phases in life you realize what your identity is, and then and this phase has a complete different floodgate. It has opened up something which uh, uh, we took things so much for granted. Just the, just the fact that uh, uh, how difficult is it to take care of a small human who's completely at your mercy, um, the first part. And then the whole idea that how uh, women are looked at when they take care of uh, a, a home. Uh, and many, 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 many points I could put forward and it wouldn't be, wouldn't be less. I'm writing a, a small journal actually on, on things I'm struggling with. Uh, and I'm looking at it from my point of view as a man, because I am looking at uh, the stereotypical comments uh, the past Zafar is making at this Zafar saying that, oh, what are you doing? Where's the, where, where's the salary? There's no salary coming in. Uh, and I'm, but I'm also looking at it from my mother's point of view, who was a migrant, uh, uh, not at all educated, uh, uh, no financial freedom uh, and how she would struggle with something like this uh, and mashallah I have, I have a very uh, um, easy life here in compared to a lot of uh, women or men who are doing it by themselves um, so these are the three things which have kind of differently shaped me and would shape me on further going ahead so uh I think that's so interesting, Zafar. And uh, I, I'm in touch with the fact that there is, you know, while I say that I, I've known you for a long time, there is only, uh, I've known you in a certain phase of your life. And, and uh, there is a, what really happened when you met Rugby? And how did that happen? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I will tell you the story, how it happened. It, uh, I used to play cricket. Um, and a lot of people, if they are from Calcutta, would know I used to play for a club. It's still there. It's called Bonvita Club. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was run by this ex-cricketer, um, Arun Lal. Mm -hmm. 
And um, is that something that was encouraged by your family, supported by your family? Yeah. I'm, I'm coming to that. Right. It's, uh, and, and it's very interesting why it was encouraged. Mm-hmm. I think at that point of time, I, I don't remember. Um, I must have been around 15, 14, mm-hmm. 15. And I think the Afghan national team started to do well. Mm-hmm. In, in on the cricket? In cricket, on the world stage. Okay. They weren't winning like international okay. matches, but um, and Facebook and, and Instagram wasn't there. Facebook was there, but uh, it wasn't that much being used. But it started to get small little headlines in, in TV channels. And, mm-hmm. and my father, uh, and uh, so that was one part of it. Then the, there is an Afghan Mela, which is mm-hmm. like a gathering happens every Eid mm-hmm. in the which is once a year uh, and it's for three days and people come and dance and play Afghan sports and stuff like that. Um, they are also, there's also a group of boys who play cricket and I used to play cricket with them and I would bowl and bat quite well with them. So um, in the Afghan community in Calcutta, there was a bit of name for a few weeks that during that point of time or that uh, Zahir Khan's son plays very well cricket. Mm-hmm. And that kind of subsequently went to my father, that, that news that he's mm-hmm. playing well. And the Afghan team doing well. So he was like, I'm sure he must have thought, oh, it's not a bad thing. He's not doing well in education. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's got no interest in studying. Why don't I keep him busy with his studies, but also see if I push him towards, see if he would like this. Um, and that's how I started to play cricket. Um, but then um, through some injuries and stuff, I couldn't carry on playing cricket and I had a really bad back injury um, and I, I, I just had to stop. And I think at this that point of time, I've been a year after I struggled with it, I was just passing by um, uh, Maidan near the Rangers. It's a, it's, a, it's a ground in Calcutta. Um, and there was a bunch of people who was playing with this very odd looking, odd shaped, uh, egg shaped ball. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I think I watched once and then I, um, I went back and then came back again and found them again playing there. A, a group of um, foreigners who were playing uh, this mm-hmm. game. Um, and then uh, that's where I met um, uh, Paul Walsh, who uh, started the club, uh, Jungle Crows. Um, and then he invited uh, me uh, and a friend of mine to uh, come and try the sport. Um, and that's it. I think I just um, I just started to really enjoy the game. I think it's something which, and if I think of it now, I think it is something which is which matches matched my skill level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't very, you don't need too much skills to play the uh, mm-hmm. sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what other rugby players would have to say about that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, I think it's generally it's quite an easy game. You, and over the time you learn how to, uh, to take care of your body and you become a bit stronger. So it's more easier. Um, but yeah, it's not a difficult game at all. It's much, much easier than cricket. 
definitely much easier than football. I always thought that two left feet. Um, so it, that's how I started to uh, play the, the game. But when you say that uh, uh, rugby was such a life-changing, defining experience, and you mentioned that building you as a man, as somebody who, uh, you know, when you make a commitment and you stick by it, you know, and, and infusing that sort of character in you and how rugby was was very defining in that. I'm, I'm assuming that there would have been certain defining moments that you may have wanted to give it up, that you didn't want to do it or felt very ambivalent towards it. Or Tell us more. I mean, how did this uh, value really seep into you? I think because it, 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 it was a, it's, it's a sport which is not very well known in, in India. Um, it's a sport which does not bring you financial stability. Mm-hmm. And it's, I played it for 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And I know with the current standard for the next 15 years also, it won't bring you that stability. Mm-hmm. Um, till we find something like we, we win some sort of major rugby cup. One of the biggest things which I would always face from my community and people in it or sometime at that point of time, not now, but at that point of time with my family was the idea of that it's, you're doing something which is worthless. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to give you any, um, um, anything in the future. And everything became about what can you get out of the sport in terms to make you financially better. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a completely opposite. It, it satisfied me as a, a, um, as a young man. It mm. took a lot of my um, inhibition, a lot of my anger, a lot of my uh, free time away from me. So it, it kind of gave me those things. It put in me a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother now after 16, 17, 18 years of playing or 14 years of playing the sport tells me that uh, sometime uh, last year told me that uh, I remember um, all those 5am uh, alarm clocks mm-hmm. and it would uh, it would make us angry but um, uh, for us, it was something which never we never understood. Um, that kind of commitment to something that doesn't bring you wealth, doesn't bring you security, doesn't make sense at um, one level, but you just do it for passion. That was something very alien to them. Yeah, but also you don't know yourself. You, you, you're like, sometimes you question yourself. You're like, but why am I doing it? Mm. Um, so for me, it was, um, I really loved it. Uh, and so him telling me that uh, we now understood why you would go at 5am in the morning. I would watch you from the window going and I would tell my wife, she said that, uh, that what he's, he's mad who goes in every day at five o'clock in the morning for no reason to a sport which will bring him nothing. Um, and I understand, I understand from uh, now from a parent's point of view that mm-hmm. he wanted or they wanted better for me. So, and they could not see what I was seeing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very important if you, um, if you, if you want to get something, mm-hmm. 
you have to really push yourself to get it. Did you, at that point of time, did you really see anything? Did you know that where, where other people was going to take you or what you were working towards? No, no. That's the other thing I was going to say is that when you don't see what's, what you're going to get, you have to double push. Uh, there's, there, if I'm playing cricket, for example, I know I might not get to the Indian team, but I will get to a state level or, or somebody might pay me some money. But when you don't see anything, uh, you're just playing for just purely because you enjoy it. Uh, at certain point of time, you question yourself is what am I going to do? But I do believe um, a lot that um, life brings the planet comes together to make things happen for you. I tell my wife sometime, I think we would have never met. I would have never gone to Europe to study. I would have never done a lot of things now if I had not broken my knee playing rugby. Mm -hmm. Because I, I can see a 37 year old um, Zafar still playing rugby in Calcutta if my, my knee was okay. It's because of the knee I had, I went away to the UK and then things, and then things started to bring in more. And, and I, and, and that's the explanation I give myself, but I guess this is also one thing which I drive from the sport that, okay, there was one stage which got over and then the, there was a second stage. So you just mentioned it in passing and I'm just clarifying this. What I, what I understand is you were playing rugby, you continued to play rugby for, for, for a long period of time and then at some point of time you had an injury and that stopped you from playing rugby? Yeah, for a, for a year, for a good year. Which year for was a, it? I think 2009, 10. And how old were you then? If you know me well, I, I, I know you shouldn't be asking me about numbers, but... Well, it's 2021 and you said you're close to 40. So this is probably a late 20s or something. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. So, and, and, and so that meant your breaking your leg meant that you couldn't play rugby anymore. But then how do you link that to going uh, to, to study in Europe? Um, I always wanted to study sports. Um, but and I and at that point of time I was also studying in IIS WBM in mm -hmm. Calcutta sports mm -hmm. management mm -hmm. and I took the it was a year at that point of time it was a year's program one year's program it was a diploma I think and I was studying and playing I wasn't injured then mm -hmm. and then half through the course I got injured I realized that this the 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 studies I am doing is nothing which is exciting me. Mm -hmm. It's the same bookish thing which I'm doing. I was doing when I was in school, mm -hmm. um, and I realized that it's a great opportunity now for me, and I have no excuse to back away from it. To um, accept something which again was a challenge. It was it was something where I had never done anything. I had never lived away from my family for uh, probably a longer period of time. Um, nobody in my family had gone away to study abroad. Um, mm -hmm. I was the uh, uh, person in the family who was the least expected to do any sort of formal education, mm. leave alone a master's. Mm. Um, and 
these are all the thoughts which I can collect now because mm. I am a grown person now. I can uh, reflect back on what has happened. But at that point of time, I did not reflect it in this way. But I was more like, okay, these are the options for me. Um, and then um, a few people helped saying that, oh, we would help you in terms of uh, making your application and seeing, helping me out with the uh, universities. Uh, um, let's try it. And I said, well, if people are trying to help me and I was quite, an, I'm still quite an open person if in terms of, uh, if somebody wants to help me or provide ideas and stuff. So, and then uh, the university opportunity came. I studied uh, sports. Which university was this? Uh, I studied sports development and management from the University of uh, Cardiff. Okay. Uh, it was originally called UIC, <laughs> but then collaborated, uh, I think, a few years back with the main primary university. Um, and it was it was it was an it was an interesting experience also uh, in in uh, in in the UK in Wales. Mm -hmm. uh, Wales is like uh, if I had to define Wales, Wales is uh, wet, mm. <laughs> always wet, <laughs> wet and cold, always wet and cold. Um, um, yeah, yeah, interesting. Ah. If I were to talk about the second experience that you talked about was growing up in Calcutta. Now, this is not one single event, one specific incident per se, but you say that it is, uh, it actually uh, triggered in shaping in terms of who you are. Uh, what, can you tell us a little more? What about living in Calcutta was so defining for you? Ooh. Yeah, I think it's not something which I could uh, squeeze down in, in an hour's interview. And I don't know where to start from, to be honest, and what what is at the back of your head you're asked looking for. Um, and I can only think of moments where... All right. Ask, tell, tell us moments. The first moment which comes to me, or to my head, is... Um, um, is my school uh, in 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 Calcutta, uh, right? And how I met uh, some of my friends, right? Um, and the friendship I made was uh, something which kind of opened up another gate for me to look into other people's life, right? And my life back at at home, right? Um, was that very distinctive? Um, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? As in, was your life back home and their lives were they very different? In many ways, uh, yes, and in many ways, no. Uh, Same or? Um, they had a certain expectation from their family members to be a certain way and certain things to achieve in life, and I had the same. Uh, mm -hmm. from my family, they had the same idea of that the identity needs to be from my best friend who came from UP, mm -hmm. uh, the same in the house and you can be anything outside. Mm. And I guess it's with most, a lot of us, uh, mm -hmm. it's the same identity, the, the parents trying to enforce or their identity on the child. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's fair, I would have to see when Noah grows up, if I'm enforcing too much. Um, but I think a, a, 
for me, um, one of the one of the moments for where I come from, Kidirpur, Calcutta, twenty three, mm. um, was I think I must have been around seventeen, mm-hmm. and I went to this uh, conference in uh, Taj Bengal, mm-hmm. and I went basically for the food. Mm. Who was organizing the conference, and what was it about? I think it's uh, some. You remember, I I'm always scared of uh, women who wear uh, big bindis, and mm. uh, I don't know if I ever I told you long time back. And saris, and saris, but uh, particular saris, the katha, katha, no, the katha, katha, the 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 cross stitch. I mean, this is a kind yeah. of a stitch, yeah. A, yeah, a yeah. Very, Traditional Bengali stitch, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But with with like really dark. Uh, oh, the eyes. Yeah. Um, and um, it was. I think it was. A, I don't remember to be honest. Who organized? I was very. I was very concerned about what I was going to eat. Um, and I took. A, I remember I took a plate of food and then mm-hmm. came back, sat down. I wasn't listening to anything, and then they started talking about. Uh, uh, names which I have been to, places where I have been to, like Madhya Pradesh, mm. uh, uh, but predominantly Muslim, uh, mm. and and still didn't in, didn't they didn't get my attention much. Mm. And then it said, "Oh, Kedipur," and then and I was like, "Okay, I I actually remember what I was eating. It was some sort of potato thing," mm. um, and. She said, and then at the end of it, she was like, um, "They are all in the list of slums." Mm. Oh, interesting. I live in a slum, or places which are um, very uh, dangerous to go to. Mm. And that is one of the uh, one of the when you ask me about what about Kidipur, that is one of the identity I've always wanted to change for, or would have liked to change for Kidipur as a whole. Uh, that how we Kidarpurian, I don't know if the word is perceived from uh, a non-Kidarpurian, um, but then later on growing, uh, uh, I have a lot of Bengali friends who always had the fear of coming to fancy market, which is mm-hmm. like a, this is a Miss Muslim ghetto for for uh, for people who don't know Kidarpur is a certain part of Calcutta, what Zafar refers to as Calcutta Twenty Three. And it's a uh, it's a uh, largely dominated by Muslims uh, from various parts of India, or you know uh, some of them like Afghanistan of of Afghan origin or Bangladeshi origin or whatever. And um, so yeah, it it's a sort of it's very heavily concentrated Muslim, which Zafar I, I hear you saying that the rest of Calcutta perceived as being a large slum. Even though not all of it may have been uh, slums in that sense, and uh, and it was it's perceived as 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 uh, as dangerous. And when you're saying that you're Bengali, because Bengalis can also be Muslims, but when I'm assuming that when you're saying you had other Bengali friends who didn't want to come to fancy market, which is in Kidarpur, I'm assuming you're referring them to the Hindus or non-Muslims per se. Yeah, exactly. It, it, for for viewers to identify what I am thinking. As at that point of time, right. Yeah. So, so that's that's a uh, one of the things that you picked up. But was it? This was at the age of ex- seventeen, and prior to that, you never really experienced uh, your identity as a Muslim 
as an Afghan Muslim and how it was placed in the whole of Calcutta. You don't have, you never had any experiences prior to that. Is that so? Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, if we particularly speak of an Afghan Muslim, um, I was then marginalized in in the community. So okay. in Kidarpur also. Yeah, in Kidarpur also I was, and I was marginalized. If my best friend sees it, by my friends unknowingly. How so? Well, they would call me names here, you know, like uh, 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 the skin color was something. These were pejorative. This, these were negative uh, labels. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name calling was quite a quite a big thing. Um, mm. It was more to do with uh, uh, a bit of uh, fun, or as they say, or, all in jest. Yeah, it's a banter, but um, it does affect you as a young man. You laugh it off at that point of time, but when you go back home, you kind of question yourself of why me. Um, so yeah, you get. You, you're you're the marginalized in marginalized so uh, i don't know how, how bad that is but uh, um, it's not something which i should laugh about but it's 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 something which is which is there so uh, and that kind of made me also aware of how i should uh, behave or deal with other people who are feeling a bit insecure about so my my tolerance level of taboo things became much more better. I started to identify if I could feel for identity, which is particular, there are different identities. It can be from the color of your skin, the religion, the, the sex you want to follow, the, the, the body. And I'm very cautious of that. Um, I try to be very, I'm, I'm, again, everybody makes, I try to be very cautious of uh, if people are going through or struggling through that and not to point it out. Okay. Zafar's journey compels us to ask ourselves several questions. How do we deal with stigma and our smallness? In an earlier episode, leadership consultant and coach Snigdha had observed that leaders are those who often convert their trauma and fears into a fire in their bellies that keeps their passion for growth burning. Sometimes that fire also burns them internally into cinders. If people continue to use their hurt, their pain, to fuel their quest for growth and success. Zafar speaks about how much he owned up his minority identity instead of running away from it. And that made him compassionate to other people with vulnerabilities. And that made him more sensitive to people, both in his professional and social spaces. He speaks about following his passion, even when he may not have an outcome in sight. His energy is one of faith, faith in his passion and believing that it will nurture him and help him to grow. Many of us have had similar experiences of being passionate about music, theater, arts or sports in our youth and eventually succumbed to doubts about the pragmatism of such madness. But Zafar seems to retain the passion even 20 years later, when he decides to take on a role of a caregiver to his infant son and confront his social and internal judgments about his masculinity. The ability to engage with uncertainty and be open to the emergent is a trait that I deeply admire in leaders. Perhaps at this time in the context we live in, it's particularly significant. Thank you listeners for tuning in. 
until next time stay well keep safe